Hello and welcome to the IGH podcast. We've spoken in previous episodes about zoonotic diseases such as leptospirosis and echinococcus. The term zoonosis, which describes diseases that can affect both animals and people, was coined by a German scientist, Rudolf Virchow, working in the 19th century. Virchow could be considered the founder of the One Health approach to research in medicine. He stated that between animal and human medicine there are no dividing lines, nor should there be. The object is different, but the experience obtained constitutes the basis of all medicine. This concept that human health is inextricably linked to that of animals is the central tenant of One Health, which aims to design and implement research programs and policy to improve public health. This approach requires collaboration across a wide variety of disciplines from the medical and veterinary fields. The result is a series of large research projects involving multiple research institutes across several countries. One Health projects can have a particularly big impact in areas where people's income, welfare and opportunities are highly dependent on their livestock. One such area is the Horn of Africa, the northeastern part of Africa that includes Eritrea, Djibouti, Somalia, Ethiopia and Kenya. The One Health Regional Network of the Horn of Africa, or Horn Project, was established to improve the health and welfare of people living in the Horn of Africa by creating a research network that will focus on the link between human and animal health. This research network connects scientists working at universities in Liverpool, Eritrea, Ethiopia, Somaliland and Kenya, who work together on projects to address the problems of developing countries. With funding from the Global Challenges Research Fund, the Horn Project aims to build research capacity in target countries by training both academic and non-academic staff. The funding is also used to carry out research projects with local students who are mentored and supported by both local and UK academics. With us today to discuss the Horn Project is Professor Matthew Bayliss, the lead investigator on the project. Good morning, Matthew. Good morning. We mentioned in the introduction that people living in the Horn of Africa are more reliant on their livestock for their income. What does a typical Ethiopian or Eritrean farm look like? Well, there's no simple answer to that because uh, they're both hugely uh, varying countries. So they go from uh, one of the lowest uh, points on Earth with the highest temperatures. That's the Danakil Depression, where Africa's sort of being ripped apart as the Rift Valley is created, and up to uh, one of the highest plateaus in the world. And uh, the highest peaks in Ethiopia come to about 15,000 feet, so about the height of the Alps. So between the two, from that great, the low points up to the high points, there's obviously a huge range of um, environments. And so there's also a big range in, um, in livelihoods and the way that livestock are produced. Down in the lowlands, where it's uh, very hot, um, the life livelihoods tend to be uh, nomadic with pastoralists and moving around following um, where food is uh, becoming available for their animals but up in the highland areas there's more settled communities and I guess uh, farms as we might recognize them um, and in those farms much of the production is uh, smallholders uh, I think in Ethiopia uh, about half of all of their uh, livestock production is through smallholders. So those are um, families that are uh, owning a, usually a, a, a small number of several types of animals. So they might have a, a cow or two, uh, some sheep or goats, and some chickens wandering around. So it's a very different picture to what we have in the UK, whereby every, every, every farm is very specialist in what they produce. 
Absolutely. I mean, there will be uh, some large-scale producers with those uh, specialisms, but uh, but as I said, most of the production, or at least half the production, is smallholders. And in addition to those animals that we all recognise as uh, being common on farms, uh, certainly in Eritrea, uh, which I visited uh, just a few weeks ago, um, you would then also get camels in these in some of these farms. So uh, we visited a, a farm which, on the in some ways, looked like a typical small dairy producer with Holstein Frisians, uh, but standing next to those cows uh, were camels. So in that case, you know, a very different setup from here. Mm. And what role do those camels play in, in agriculture? Well, they're used in a variety of ways. Um, they're used a lot for transport, carrying stuff into the markets. So we visited a, a small town called Keren, which has a, you know, a very lively um, camel market in the centre, and uh, camels are being, you know, used to uh, bring a lot of goods in for sale into the town. Uh, but people also using them for uh, for for meat uh, and for milk. So when we think about a, a market here, if I go to Birkenhead Market, for example, there's no live animals there. All the meat has been butchered elsewhere and, and brought in. There's obviously a very different structure in an Eritrean market. Could you describe what what it's like there? Well, you see, um, you know, lots of live animals for sale. I mean, it's very rare. It's unusual, um, even in the towns, to see much in the way of, of butchers as we would recognise them, although they, they obviously exist. Uh, but in the markets, you know, there's live animals, and people will go in and buy the live animals to take home and slaughter at their own at their own homes. So very, very different setup uh, from from the UK. So obviously, livestock play a big role in the national economies of, of countries in in the Horn of Africa. Is it just for local consumption, or do they export meat as well? Export is a really important part of the uh, the economy of the region. So. There's a very large number of live animals which are exported from uh, from Eritrea and even more so from Somalia uh, into uh, the Middle East. And so a country like Somalia, uh, its, its national income, uh, its gross national income uh, comprises about 60 to 70 percent uh, is, is from the money from live animal exports. And compare that to the UK, where the equivalent is, is less than 1% here. So for the UK, you know, if, if, our, if through disease uh, we're unable to export animals, it has a, a negligible or very small effect on our own economy. But in a country like Somalia, it has an absolutely huge effect on the national economy, and then that immediately affects the, the people. In order to export livestock to Saudi Arabia... Uh, they have to reach the coast first, but a lot of the livestock production won't be on the coast. So how do they transport animals? A lot of animals are walked uh, across uh, the Horn of Africa and actually from even outside the Horn of Africa, uh, from Sudan, for example. Animals are walked across the region so that uh, live animals you know, reach the coast, uh, enter quarantine stations where they can be checked for disease, uh, and then, if healthy, then those live animals get exported. So there's a, an, I guess, largely unseen uh, but very large flow of animals, um, of live animals across uh, that part of the world. And do urban families take part in livestock production a lot to supplement their incomes, or is it purely a rural pursuit? It's definitely not purely rural. Um, it is mostly rural, but uh, urban. In urban environments, you do see a lot of uh, a lot of animals. So, in a town like uh, Asmara, which is the capital of Eritrea, uh, 
bang in the middle there's uh, there's live animals wandering around uh, near the market there's, there's uh, goats in the streets uh, there's chickens wandering around so for sure um, live animals play a role play a part of the urban economy that we don't see here mm-hmm. many families will keep their own uh, poultry uh, to produce eggs and occasional meat uh, i guess and may have uh, you know, a small number of uh, goats uh, perhaps for milk and meat as well. So they are they do play a role in the urban uh, economy that that you don't see in the UK. And what aspects of these systems make them more vulnerable to the effects of infectious disease? Well, I, I think it's the proximity of people to those animals. So you know, in those markets, there's people buying their fruit and veg, uh, but there's also live goats and chickens just a few feet away so there's uh, an exposure through that route that um, uh, for sure and there's also the mixing of different animals so within that environment you may see a whole variety of animals very close together uh, a cow some goats some sheep some chickens uh, and, and so there's the possibility then for infectious diseases to move from one species to another and then for people to be exposed uh, one way or another to you know uh, to those diseases. And in terms of the mass migration of animals up through the Horn of Africa to the coast, that's that's presumably a big risk factor as well. Well, for sure. I mean, there's obviously that possibility that animals may be carrying, uh, as reservoirs, carrying infections with them. Um, in fact, that's a big problem that we see in Europe with some of the exotic diseases that have come into Europe uh, being traced to the movements of animals across the Sahara. So um, some uh, outbreaks of African horse sickness virus, for example, uh, can be traced back to sort of um, yeah, uh, trains of animals carrying goods across the Sahara. Mm-hmm. So it happens going uh, north, but I'm sure it also happens with uh, animals traveling east uh, across the Horn. These systems are very susceptible to infectious diseases, but what kind of infectious diseases are we talking about, the, the principal zoonotic diseases within the Horn of Africa? The, uh, the countries of the Horn often uh, or have, uh, so for example Ethiopia, have prioritised uh, their zoonotic diseases for, um, for control and for research. And so the highest priority diseases uh, are, for example, anthrax, uh, bruce, brucellosis, uh, bovine TB and Rift Valley fever. So of those, um, TB is very uh, prevalent in Ethiopia. Ethiopia is you know, one of the world's biggest producers of, of dairy animals. It's Africa's biggest livestock producer. And TB is, uh, bovine TB is endemic and has quite a high prevalence. And of course, people in such uh, a country um, will uh, often be consuming unpasteurized milk. So there's quite a high rate of transmission of of bovine TB into people. Another uh, really important disease in the region is Rift Valley fever. So this is an epidemic disease. It's spread by mosquitoes um, and not seen uh, for some years, but then a huge outbreak can appear. And it relates to uh, changes to the weather through the El Nino phenomenon. Uh, which brings uh, a drought and then heavy rains into the Horn of Africa. And in those heavy, those heavy rains create pools uh, of rainwater, which mosquitoes can then breed in. So you get a big surge in the number of, 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 of the relevant species of mosquito, and this enables the transmission of Rift Valley fever virus. So that virus, that disease, kills uh, small animals, 
there can be uh, really devastating outbreaks in uh, northern Kenya, for example, where thousands or hundreds of thousands of livestock die uh, from the disease. And that in itself uh, can be an immediate cause of uh, malnutrition or starvation for the local people. But also those people um, will often eat the animals uh, that uh, are sick with Rift Valley fever. Uh, and then the people themselves will get the disease. And so there can be uh, you know, human mortality and a lot of uh, illness from that. And then also it's one of the key diseases that stops the exports of, of livestock into the Middle East. So the Middle East does not want to see outbreaks of Rift Valley fever. And if there's an outbreak going on in the Horn of Africa, they will slow down or stop uh, importation. So a big outbreak of Rift. And uh, you know, there's been one just a, a year or two ago and one a few years before that is really devastating for this region. You mentioned brucellosis as well as a, a potential problem. That was eradicated in the UK, but I remember reading about it in, in the James Herriot books. He describes a farmer who is who essentially loses his herd or the viability of his herd through um, brucellosis infection in his cattle. Is that something that, that occurs often in, in the Horn of Africa? has quite a high prevalence. Uh, it's seen throughout the region, uh, for sure. In some parts, uh, it's relatively has a relatively low prevalence, but in other parts, uh, it's very high. And it is a major concern. So in Eritrea, um, which we visited, then it was the disease that people were really most concerned about. There was a surprise, an unusually high prevalence in people. Uh, and as a country has a relatively low you know, diagnostic capability and they were really reliant on their animal uh, diagnostic uh, capacity to test humans uh, there. So there was a real concern about brucellosis and an interest to, to try to ramp up their ability to deal with the disease. Mm-hmm. And anthrax as well, it's probably not a disease people are very familiar with apart from uh, you know, it being used in bioterrorism. Is that a very prevalent within the horn? It is. I mean, bioterrorism and uh, drug users. There's been quite a few deaths in the UK from contaminated uh, okay. uh, uh, drugs from mm. uh, with anthrax. Um, but yes, it is. It's, it's found throughout the Horn of Africa. It is uh, a disease that uh, you know will um, that, that people can get in many parts of of the region. And again, it's just another major concern that you know we used to see in this country and now it's uh, very rare but it's in that part of africa it's quite prevalent mm-hmm. and that kills cattle very very quickly does it it does yes and uh, wild animals too so it's it has uh, you know, a whole range of uh, negative consequences and how is anthrax mainly spread to the population so anthrax is a bacterial disease which uh, forms spores and those spores can survive in the ground for a long time and when i say a long time i mean decades Mm -hmm. so uh, they can reside they rest sort of underground Um, but then if that's in particular during periods of really heavy rain then if that's that can stir up those spores and they start to germinate and so then um, you know infectious uh, spores of anthrax begin to circulate and animals can become infected that way and people, again, can be affected uh, from infected animals. So there's lots of different infectious diseases uh, swirling around in the Horn of Africa and causing big problems for the local people and their animals. Uh, so as well as developing the research capacity um, within the Horn of Africa, you're also funding some research placements. Uh, have any of these begun and, and what kind of projects are you focusing on? 
the projects that we're uh, focusing on uh, have a, a taking a one health approach uh, because with the examples that I've given, uh, you can see how you know human health, animal health, and the environment are all wrapped up together. Um, and it's difficult to tease them apart. So the HORN project is ultimately about uh, addressing uh, One Health. We have recently had a, a week-long event uh, in Addis Ababa in Ethiopia where we brought in uh, 20 or so uh, young researchers from across the Horn of Africa. So that was Kenya, Ethiopia, Eritrea, and parts of Somalia. Um, and we worked with them for an entire week to enable them to uh, share their expertise, form groups uh, where they had common interests and begin to form project ideas and then write those ideas into a proposal and then pitch that proposal to a panel. And then we awarded or didn't award funding. So we funded four at the end of that uh, for a total of £178,000. And those four are one on um, the vectors that transmit Rifali fever uh, in Ethiopia, one on Rifali fever surveillance in Kenya and uh, Eritrea, one on uh, milk, the nutritional quality of milk and the impact on child uh, morbidity in Kenya, and the fourth one is on anthrax, um, and this one has five young researchers working together, uh, one from Kenya, one from Ethiopia, one from Eritrea, one from Somaliland, which is the most northern part of Somalia, and one from Puntland, which is the part of Somalia in the corner. And I'm really excited about this project because it was developed by those people, and it brings together five nations or... Uh, yeah, five nations uh, to work together and create the network that we want to come from the Horn project. And as well as bringing together people from different countries, you're also uniting uh, a wide variety of academics from different disciplines. I expect there's lots of uh, doctors and vets on board, but what other disciplines are involved and, and how do they contribute to the research objectives? Yes, that's right. I mean, One Health is multidisciplinary. So we obviously have people with a sort of medical background, veterinary background, uh, environmental scientists. Uh, we have a strong interest in the inclusion of, uh, of social sciences. I mean, it's really, really important in uh, the work that will be done. Uh, so we have a social sciences team, and that will be a part of many of the projects. Um, and then perhaps slightly uh, on the, off the side, um, but of real interest is work on uh, zooarchaeology. So this is really looking at the, the history of the interactions between people and animals. So obviously people, uh, humans, you know, originated in that part of Africa. The, the oldest specimens come from there. Uh, most species of animal, domesticated animal, were domesticated elsewhere, but moved into Africa at a certain point. And there's been very little work really on on that history of animal movements into the region and the role that they've played so we are working with a team uh, in uh, Liverpool and in and in Ethiopia who will be uh, getting samples of, of ancient bones and extracting DNA uh, and looking for example looking for um, disease in those in those bone samples but also um, starting to do uh, digs to look for new samples examine the history of animals through rock paintings you know rock art where you can identify 
breeds, zebu cattle versus uh, taurine cattle, for example. And so a whole range of things that really get to the bottom of the history of animals in the Horn of Africa. And in terms of social science, what kind of um, impact can that have on infectious disease control? Well, we are doing a, as I said, social science will um, be a part of many of the projects. But we have a keen interest in looking at the role of gender, for example. And there's not gender equality in the way animals are, are kept. Um, and, uh, and so the role of women in, in looking after animals is a key thing to understand. We actually have a project looking at the uh, role of women in ethno-veterinary medicine. Um, so we'll be looking at how uh, women are guardians of, of knowledge of treating animals with, uh, you know, with local medicines, for example. So we have specific projects uh, such as that one, but then also um, bringing in social sciences skills to make sure that uh, into many of the projects so that we ask the right questions. And I, I presume there's lots of ecologists as well working on different different projects. Um, you mentioned how climate has an impact on Rift Valley and, and maybe anthrax as well. Yes, that's right. We, um, we link into the environment school in the university and have uh, a, a, an expert in uh, climate and climate change there. And so we have that expertise brought in. So we're really trying to bring together, uh, you know, the, the health sciences with environmental science, social science, uh, and even uh, that, uh, that zooarchaeology. So that we have a really multidisciplinary team uh, that can, uh, you know, address important questions from a variety of different angles. Excellent. Well, that's all I've got time for today. But um, thank you very much for coming along and talking to us about the Horn Project. It was a pleasure. And thank you for listening to the IGH podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, then you can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or Stitcher. You can also leave reviews and comments for us there. If you want to know more about IGH, you can visit the Institute's website at www.liverpool.ac.uk forward slash infection dash and dash global dash health. Or you can follow us on Facebook or Twitter at IGH Liverpool. A huge thank you as well to the Microbiology Society and the Institute of Infection and Global Health who provided the funds for the recording equipment. The music is Words We Will Remember by Josh Woodward. This track and more of his work can be found on his website at www.joshwoodward.com.